0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. I got to watch him with UVA when they had their big run and we've already had friend of the show Brett Walsh on the show, so I'm hoping some stories overlap and we hear some new ones. So today's guest is a two-time Canada West champion. He's a two-time CIS champion. He won the prestigious Block uh, Ring Award, which involves athletics, academics, community sport, and leadership. He was a member of our junior national team. He played pro in France, and he's also completed his master's in England, where he got to play some more volleyball over there, which we'll hear all about. Please welcome to the show, John Goranson. John, thanks for doing this.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Josh, for having me on.
0: I was just saying you're you're kind of getting added to our long list of uh, Alberta volleyball players. So I'm wondering how did you get your start in our sport and choose it over any other sports you were playing at the time?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I define myself as an atypical volleyball player. I definitely don't really have the volleyball bill. But anyways, I grew up in Red Deer. Um, you probably heard a little bit about Red Deer. And you know it's very hockey central. So I grew up. Um, playing kind of hockey at a very young age. And hockey was my life, kind of hockey in the winter, lacrosse in the summer. So basically all the way up until grade nine, like hockey was my thing Um, and lacrosse. And then I just got, I got burnt out, honestly. It was so political and uh, I just wasn't having fun anymore. So then I made the the switch. I remember I went to the Kelowna Rockets uh, rookie camp, got asked for the main camp. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Just it's just not fun. And uh, then I transitioned into school sports, so I started, you know, did all the school sports in grade nine: basketball, volleyball, track and field. And um, grade nine or grade eight was the first year I did club. And still haven't really latched on to volleyball. I, you know, was wasn't the most skilled player. And then it wasn't until U sixteen. Um, where I actually somehow made the provincial team. I remember playing against Brooks Ador, Brett Walsh, Jackson Maris, David Ponish, Chris Jones. These guys were all studs. And I'm like, there's no way I can compete with them. And somehow I made this uh, provincial team. And just from that moment on, when I met those guys, just that community aspect of the game and just super fun to go to all the, you know, the club tournaments. And uh, so I really latched on to that early and then, Throughout high school, I kept playing cross, basketball, rugby, track and field. You know, I had the opportunity to to pursue lacrosse or basketball, but honestly, it was just how fun it was um, to practice and to be with the guys is really why um, I chose volleyball. And then I went down to Junior Olympics. So during club, we kind of made um, an all-star team to try to take down NAVC. So Brooks Adore and Brett Walsh and the fathers kind of put together. We called Rise Above, and uh, we actually went down to Austin, Texas, I believe, for Junior Olympics. And uh, funny enough, we made it all the way to the final, and we played NAVC from Edmonton. And there's teams literally across mainly North America, and we made it to the Open Division, and we made it to the finals. And funny enough, we lost to them which I'm still bitter about, <laughs> uh, but that really opened up a lot of doors for me. I got, you know, some opportunities for N.C. schools. Um, and then also that was the opportunity that I remember that summer I got an email from Terry Danilak and I'm like, wow, this, this is real. Like I could really do this. And uh, from there on, you know, I kind of had some calls with people who played in the States and, but really like, you know, U of A, you know, the prestigious program that Terry has built um, and now Brock is. Um, continue that legacy you know it was really no brainer choice and after you know when Brett and Riley and Kevin my really good buddies committed I knew that was the place for me so that's a long winning answer sorry if that was too
0: long no no that's awesome and just to circle back real quick again anyone who's ever seen you play volleyball live a guy your size to move that well I'm wondering your family was obviously supportive in your decision, but did any coaches chase you? Because I'm thinking as a hockey or lacrosse coach, they must have pursued you. Because I think if they could make a player in a lab, like you're the body type that they want for most positions. So did they respect you when you did Or did they kind of pursue you and really talk you back into playing those sports?
1: I remember I got a call from the scout about like six months after that. And also the Medicine Hat Tigers, um, one of the head scouts called me. And honestly, I my decision was made, but... Looking back, I wish as a kid, I would have known that there's other routes for not just hockey, but any sports, right? Like, I didn't get drafted all my bantam age, and that really struck me that I wasn't going to make it big. And no one told me, like, hey, there's different routes. You can go to junior, junior college, or even if you don't make the show, you can go to Europe and still make a lot of money and travel the world. And, you know, I'm happy for how things led, and I ended up with volleyball, but I just... I just wish someone would have kind of just guided me and told me a little bit more of the the opportunities that are out there, not only for hockey, but for all sports.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as you're growing through volleyball and your skills are growing, and like you said, you're going to bigger tournaments, what went into your recruiting process? Like you being a Red Deer guy, was U of A always going to be the goal or did you really entertain some of those NCAA offers or any other offers you were getting in Canada before you decided to go play for Terry? With with, like you mentioned, your recruiting class was – studs right from your age group so uh what else were you considering before you were a golden bear
1: well i think red deer college was a big one um i know aaron shula was a little bit um disappointed that i didn't go there because it's kind of expected to to go to the red deer college especially if you're from there but actually my parents they they wouldn't allow me to stay in red deer another year they wanted me to get out and start learning life lessons so um i knew you know red deer was kind of not an option because i wanted to you know move out Uh, But the other one, big one, was UC um, Irvine, Irvine. So actually, John Sparrow was the head coach there, and I had some good um, conversations with him. And and Hawaii, too, was another option. And honestly, like, very wicked lifestyles, I know, if I were to choose those schools. But it really came down to financials. Like, they could only offer basically 75% scholarship, and, you know, that alone, you're still still quite a bit and then especially when I heard those other guys are going there you know I wanted to remain in Canada so that's kind of what I
0: went with. Nice nice and as you mentioned you're you're entering in a recruiting class that you're already familiar with guys but were you in your kind of grade 12 year watching U of A and seeing the guys that are going to be there like the Eric Matsons and some other leaders on the team like what were your first impressions when you're you know, stepping foot on campus and you're going to practice for the first time. Cause I think that the team's been good for so long, but you definitely entered during a strong cycle as well.
1: Yeah. And to be honest, I wasn't really following U of A at all, especially in club and early high school, because I just didn't really, I was kind of like, like I said, atypical, didn't really know like world class players. I went to a couple RDC games, but I was still kind of oblivious to the, the the level that U of A was, um, was at. But it was really, I think, my assistant coaching club was Mitch Irvin. And knowing, like, watching him play at REC and then him coaching me and then going to U of A, like, committing, like, his second year coaching me, I'm like, wow, like, this guy is, like, he was my idol then. And seeing what U of A, and then when I literally had the opportunity to go play with them for two years. That to me was like, wow, this
0: is this is pretty, pretty cool. Awesome. And you mentioned you enjoyed when you really focused on volleyball, like the training and being around the guys. Did that match when you got to U of A? Like how were the practices? How was the the new teammates and kind of being an underclassman to some of the vets? Like how did you find just the overall experience when you were entering your first year?
1: Yeah, honestly like I said, that was my favorite part. All trainings were super fun. I remember the first time I met all the boys um, it was the beach tournament. Um, we always train at the beach, and we, uh, you know, hockey, lacrosse, everything's kind of clicky. And like, you know, all the older guys stick themselves. And like, I remember the first night, you know, the older guys, Matt McCurry, Jared Mueller, Tristan Aubrey. They're like, all right, boys, we're going, we're going out tonight. And I remember going kind of drinking with them, and then going out afterwards, and at the bar with all of them. Like, wow, like this is, I know I'm, I am where I'm supposed to be.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And I think U of A, obviously it's very strong, right? So did you have expectations of of playing as a first year or were you happy to kind of learn and just get used to it? Because I think that's kind of a myth where kids today when they're in the recruiting process, I think they expect to start in their first year. And that just wasn't happening at U of A or even at a lot of Canada West schools when you were entering university, right?
1: Yeah, this is an interesting conversation because I think I expected, obviously, first, first, second year, I really didn't expect to start. And, uh, this is actually a story that I was going to tell later, but as a result of that, I, my mindset wasn't really to get in the ball, best volleyball shape. Uh, I lived at residence. I had like all you can eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, <laughs> didn't travel. So I had more of a three day weekend. I'm not going to elaborate too much with that, man. as a, a young student. Um, and, uh, it's funny. I remember like going to the gym like every day, mutant mass, protein shakes, and I got up to the heaviest like mass I've ever played at. And uh, I remember going to the gym with Riley Burns, and you know I'm trying to get him stronger, and I'm like um, benching quite a bit. And then I remember going to Canada West. So Canada West, you're allowed to dress 14 for the for the finals instead of 12, and I got to go in the hitting warm up. And I remember, like, trying to jump. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I am a liability right now. Like, <laughs> I cannot get off the ground, like, six, six inches. And then that at that point, I'm like, okay, my second year, like, I know I can, you know, start traveling. And at that point, I really, like, decided to, to really focus on getting more into the volleyball shape rather than just working out like I used to.
0: Nice. And did any encouragement come from either Mitch or, or some of the vets or even or Terry or, or Brock or any of the coaches? Or was that just a decision you made that you just felt like, I'm, I'm too heavy to be a middle blocker in this league?
1: I think it really, I think that's, I think it It kind of illuminated at first when I uh, was in LA. Me and my buddy Taylor Annette were out in the sun too long. And Terry kind of saw us suntanning and then saw our hitting warm-up. And he kind of said, hey, guys, because you weren't jumping too high, so, like, you guys, have to, like, you can't be able to sun that long. And that kind of first got to me, like, wow, like, people are actually watching how high I jump. And then I remember that hitting warm-up. And then after that, I was like, okay, I need to completely rechange my, uh, my workouts.
0: Nice, nice. And as you're building and you do get that starting role, what was the mood around U of A when you guys were really rolling? Like when I looked it up uh, before we talked, you guys went 23 or 21 and 3 one year, you went 23 and 1 one year. Like, what is the feeling going to the gym just knowing that you're going to get it done? Like super competitive league, arguably the most competitive conference in Canada for a long time. And you guys were just rolling. So when you're in that starting role, how did practices feel? How did it feel getting off the bus at games? Like, must have been a good feeling knowing you guys were pretty untouchable when you're at your peak there.
1: Yeah. And, like, it just, Brock, Doc, and Perry do a brilliant job of just instilling, you know, just giving everything you have every single practice. So, you know, if we weren't playing too good in practice, he would, you know, call us in, kind of, you know, try to relax us um, or just, you know, just shift our mentality. So really came for practice that training, you know, it was ne- we never talked about like, you know, we were, um, you know, the, the best in the league or we want to get to number one. Like obviously everyone has that same goal in mind, but it's really just the process and one practice at a time, you know, each drill, each contact. And, you know, when you come down to those clutch games, those clutch moments, it, it's crazy. I remember thinking you see um, the final, like, I remember thinking, like, wow, I don't even have to think. It's just everything was autopilot and like it truly flow. And, you know, that really just stems from, um, you know, the way Brock, Doc, and uh, Terry started that program. It's just, it's all about the process and, you know, each each day at a time.
0: Nice. And w- when we had uh, Brett Walsh on the show, he talked about all the cool stuff that setters would do in individuals. I was hoping you could share what a middles do, because I think UBA A carries a pretty big roster, right? So when you're kind of on your own core, just working with the other middles, what are some things that you're focusing on away from the other team that when you get put back together and into gameplay, like like you said, you're just on autopilot and everything's smooth and automatic?
1: Yes, we always did this drill. So Doc, he would stand on a box. And uh, Doc is Dale Jones, by the way. He's like our middle um, coach slash statistician. So he stands on the middle box. And then it's basically we do a lot of arm speed, so just working on a quick shoulder. So that really helped me in my, you know, middle game. So, you know, hitting sharp five, sharp one, you know, really working on that quick shoulder. And then the other ones, just reactions, like middle reactions, seeing the set and just reacting to it. So those are kind of the two big drills. And, you know, we did those, you know, twice a week.
0: Nice. And for anyone who's seen you play live, like it makes total sense to me now learning that you played like hockey and lacrosse and basketball and other like physical sports like the intensity or determination or even like the, the anger you would play with at certain times, were you bringing that in practice or, or, where did that come from? Cause anyone who's seen you live, like you have a presence about you and you're involved in the game. So do you flip the switch on game day? Is that there every day? Like where, where does that part of your game come from?
1: I, I would think my teammates, my coaches think, you know, most, most days I bring that. And, uh, it's funny when I first entered U of A, Terry kind of pulled the young guys away and, And he basically said, hey, guys, like, you guys got to be piss and vinegar, right? The old guys are usually like the more, you know, they don't have to bring the energy. But as a young guy, like, you know, so at a very young age when I started at U of A, I wanted to be that vocal person. But for me, you know, one of the most challenging but interesting parts of volleyball is how restricted I am um, compared to like lacrosse and hockey. You know, if you're not scoring, you can go out and hit people. You can skate fast to try to, you know, get pucks out of the corner, loose pucks, lacrosse, same thing, loose balls. So when I'm restricted, if I'm not getting set, you know, if I'm not getting touches I want, if I'm not serving well, you know, there's very little things I can do to impact the game. So for me, I kind of latched onto that. Brock, you know, Davduck said this well, you know, as a player, you should always be adding something, right? If you're not serving well, you know, you gotta be hitting well. If you're not hitting well, you gotta be blocking well. If you're not blocking well, you gotta play defense. So as a middle, you know, blocking defense, you're not doing really any of those, well, what do you gotta do? So especially my later years when I think my um I had some knee problems and shoulder problems. I remember that fifth year like I wanted to leave everything out there and you know try to impact the game as much as I can. And so being vocal and you know getting in setter's head uh, was definitely kind of something I uh, focused on.
0: Now, did it ever become a distraction with you? Like another Golden Bear alumni, we talked about Ben Saxton, and he finds that the chirpiest guys on the beach lately are the ones who just don't have the skill to go head-to-head, so they have to find that way to ramp it up. And obviously, if, if you're winning, it's real easy, but if you're losing, it can become a problem. I'm wondering with you, because it was so consistent and part of your game, Like, were you just comfortable and that was what you are going to bring to the game, or did it ever become a distraction for you or your teammates?
1: I don't think it ever was a distraction for me. You know, I think any point that like, like what I really focused on was like pure, just um, information on the other side. Like I would never like say anything like chirps. Maybe it's like, Oh, what did I used to say? Like f- fresh meat, I guess sometimes when, when stuff's come in. Um, uh, but basically it's more so just information that I'm yelling out, pointing at the guy, kind of staring him down, just, Yelling information. And so maybe it got a little distracting for myself, but I don't
0: know. And you mentioned setters were usually a good target because I think just the way server receives are stacked, like they're usually close to the net. So as a middle, they're always within earshot, right? So what were some cat and mouse games you would do other than obviously calling out the hitter and watch dump and all like the volleyball stuff? Was there any cat and mouse stuff you would do or would you change your front or your look or, or what were some things that you could do that you felt like you were influencing the game?
1: Interesting question. I never really thought about what I actually done. Um, obviously, you know, it's always middle versus setter uh in my eyes, right? Trying to get a read what he's doing, you know, when to commit. So, you know, early on, I like to to jump on balls, you know, go pits um, you know, on good passes, and then from there, you know, sometimes I I front the the middle um really early and then kind of go more of a neutral position. You know, sometimes like I pretend to go pits, like really early, like really drop down on a good pass, looking like I'm going to go pits, but then actually don't. So, yeah, I think those are kind of the games I would play.
0: Nice. Yeah, because we've heard from a lot of setters on our show that they like to look through the net. So it's interesting to see how you could change the information you're allowing them to have or or certain little fakes. So I think that's cool to see that uh, you're not just standing there neutral, letting them dictate everything. Right. Yeah, totally. And I'm trying to find the timeline. I'm thinking, was your first year the year in Laval where it was just crazy loud and you guys lost a tough quarterfinal to them?
1: That was my second year. So my first year was in Queens. That was the year that Mitch blew his knee out. Riley Barnes, I think, had a concussion. So as a first year, he normally started as the backup. So we brought in... I think it was Robert Wojcik. Yeah, Robert Wojcik, I think, started that that match against Queens. So we played, again, host team, first round, typical, and we lost to Queens um, with both, I guess, Mitch um, out. And then, yeah, the second year, we were in Laval, and I think Mitch was healthy that game. I think everyone was healthy, would I believe. But, yeah, it's just... Laval played lights out, and uh, they had a good crowd. So yeah, those are my first two years.
0: And how does Terry or Brock or Doc or any other coaches like to kind of massage the message? Because you guys have been stringing together strong regular seasons, but I think Canada West playoffs and then U Sports or CIS playoffs, they become a different beast, right? So your first two years getting, let's just say, an upset in the first round, whether they want to say it or not, like tough matches in the first round. And then you guys finally get it to click. Like, did anything change or was Terry so consistent that it was just going to come by the way you guys were training every day?
1: Yeah, I think you said it just how it was. You know, it's just at the end of the day, you know, the cards just weren't uh, in uh, in our favor that one, the first two years. But really, it's about the process. Literally, it was the exact same year in, year out, um, exact same process. And we knew, you know, eventually if we kept up with the training. And that mindset, it would come. And, you know, that was evident in my third and
0: fourth year. Nice. And what do you remember about, like, the the first year when you guys won it? So winning Canada West and winning CIS, like, did it honestly feel the same? Or did it just feel like because you guys were starting to be upperclassmen and you had more game experience that it, it was really coming together? Because obviously with you and Riley and Walsh, like, the core was really there. And, and obviously forgetting a lot of people that were were a big part of the piece. Like, the, the core team for both years seemed to be very similar, right? So, Did you guys just have that trust that you could bring it every game? Or what happened when it finally clicked and you guys were taking home these championships?
1: Well, yeah, I think my third year, our record wasn't very good when we won. I believe it was like 15-6 and or something. so on, you know, looking back, it wasn't really a very strong U of A regular season. But, you know, it wasn't until playoffs when we really, it was really peaking at the right time. Like everybody was just playing lights out, like Jay Olmstead, um, Matt McCurry, all the older guys. Um, Kevin Proudfoot went off during playoffs that year. And it was really just clicking. And like I said before, it's just at a point where we, you know, we've been training so well for so long and we just went on autopilot and uh, got the job done and had a lot of fun doing it.
0: And when you're at a CIS how much are you paying attention to the other side of the draw like when we just had uh, coach Craig Marshall on the show we talked about the the crazy year in Calgary where Western goes on this run and knocks off Trinity and knocks off Mac and you guys are obviously on the other side of the bracket waiting like are you paying attention to that being like oh we didn't really maybe talk a lot about Western but now they're across the net from us in the final like how do you personally like to approach those championships because uh I think the Trinity one, even though Western's had their number a couple times, that's probably an upset. And for them to beat McMaster, like they haven't beat Mac in an Ontario final, I, I don't think that whole cycle. So for them to sneak by into the finals had to be surprising to you. So how do you prepare for those moments?
1: What I liked about U of A and how we um, approached every game, you know, we do the same process if we're playing the best team on top of league or the worst team, you know, it's always the same routine of video. We have our kind of game sheets so really doing that every single week you know we just approach every game we never kind of scout early on it's always you know who we're playing next game so I honestly didn't really focus on that at all Um, I'm sure some other guys may be like a little bit more than me but really it's like okay who am I playing next you know I like to watch um, film obviously with the team but also just quickly go through the setters um rip through and kind of see his tendencies so for me like I said it's just I wait to see what we're playing and then go from there
0: nice and I was hoping you could share what tendencies you're looking for like you've talked about like your in-game adjustments about like full max jump or doing fakes and stuff but before the game are you looking for tendencies by rotation are you focusing in on certain players are you looking for a body language tell on the setter like what helped your prep to get you really comfortable and in that like smooth autopilot state that you talked about earlier yeah,
1: so I'm not good at remembering rotations. That's why I have Doc to keep track of that and letting us know. For me, it's really just seeing the body of the setter. You know, if he does back, big back arch or back sets, um, if he doesn't square when he's back setting, um, you know, what does he do when his hands get low, high? Um, you know, when when he's off the net, like, what do what what those sets look like? So kind of just getting the feel beforehand and then when you're, you know, and playing it's a lot more natural
0: nice and if you wouldn't mind what's your eye sequence like once you're at the net and set and they're receiving serve like where does your attention go and how long are you typically on the setter oh i never verbalized this before um
1: i don't <laughs> even know what i do uh what, what's the normal thing even though is it
0: i think most people are taught ball, like ball setter ball hitter. hitter yeah yeah
1: yeah well first i think the first thing i want to know is where that pass is going. Right. If I know if it's you know two meters off then I can relax my hands and get more in a, you know a neutral position where I have to go to either pin. you know if it's a good middle that can get forced maybe I'll keep my hands a little higher but that's the first thing I want to know is if the if the middle is still in if it's out then I can just relax and just rely on my quick reactions to, to get to either pin. Um, But if it's a good pass, then I keep my hands a little higher. Um, Obviously, I want to see where the middle, so I take a glance at the middle to see where he's going. Um, So I can adjust, um, you know, if he's running a 30 or 60, I may call switch for the the left side. And then it's just watching the center from there. Yeah, other than that, I I don't know if I can explain anything else after that
0: no no that's awesome and then for certain outside hitters are you changing the way you press like if you ever had to be across the net for maybe riley in practice like are you dropping your left hand just to take away some of the angles he can hit or are you just trying to really focus on closing like how much uh, i get the the setter the middle battle that's going on and it's going to be constant in the game but how much are you keying in on outside hitter tendencies as well
1: oh that's one of those things i just try to close and draw my inside hand you know I wasn't the best closer Um, for me. uh, It was just trying to get up, you know, straight, not to to lean in, to try to fill the gap. So, um, yeah, that's something that definitely wasn't the best at. But, you know, it's just trying to get there quick, close as much as you can and try not to to lean to fill the gap. But really, you know, draping that inside hand, you know, every year I realize how more important that is to try to cut off that angle
0: and then as you're going through your your university career you had the opportunity to represent canada with our junior national team and then looking up that roster like you you were playing with guys who are still representing canada today like obviously a very stacked team i think riley was there danny steven mar jammy davies was on that squad like so many guys right what was that experience like was that just confirming that you were one of the best middles in canada like did you have any expectations going through that process yeah like
1: going to that tryout i remember i was at peak physical um, kind of abilities I was jumping really well my hips were mobile that was another thing all my teammates would laugh because you know my hips are not the most mobile so I was really working on you know trying to get some good lunges and be able to really get low for defense and I remember um, I had a really good trial and honestly I, I didn't expect to make it like I wanted to give everything I could and uh, you know that was an amazing moment when I found out I made the team And then, you know, my next goal was to eventually travel because, you know, they brought four medals and only three traveled to Turkey. So, yeah, I just made another goal to travel and just worked my my butt off. And, uh, yeah, just at that level, it was pretty, pretty amazing to train, um, you know, at that level, you know, two days, grinding every day with um, some amazing players. So uh, that was super, super fun summer.
0: Oh, shoot, I actually forgot about that with the, the middles being shortened there. So, Danny, yourself, and I think friend of the show, Alex Russell, were the middles, right? But how was that feeling in practice knowing that uh, only three of the four were going to get to go? Who was the fourth middle, by the way?
1: Oh, it's JP, Dejardin, I think. JP, he was from Lavelle. Okay. Yeah, and that's sport, right? Like, you're always, at the end of the day, competing with your teammates to either to make the starting squad or make the traveling roster. So, you know, it wasn't anything new, but we knew it was you know, a bigger reward for those three that you know made it. So for me, that was super motivating. And, you know, every single day I, I busted my ass to, to, to get there.
0: And how did you find the experience overseas, like coming from a, a strong level in the CIS? But was the setting that much better overseas or was the first contact just that much more sharper? So you had to deal with more options all the time. Like what were your your first impressions of international ball?
1: Yeah, just the speed of the game and, like, the physicality of the players. Like, I remember our first international match was against Russia. Um, We were actually training out of uh, Hoag's gym. Oh, what is that? What club is that?
0: Was he with Arcus at that time? Or where was he?
1: Yes. So we we trained there before Turkey um, Worlds in Izmir. Yeah, so we hosted Russia. And I remember we actually won that game in five, um, which is crazy. But just how fast they play in the middles who are seven foot two, like I would have to jump before the setter has the ball basically <laughs> in order to get a touch on them. So that's when, you know, a six foot six middle, like I am undersized. And, you know, it's kind of rude awakening <laughs> um, because it's just the, the physics, even if I can touch as high as them, just the timing wise, I have to jump way sooner and by that time the setter knows I'm in there, so he'll just whip it back or forward. Um, And it just came, for us, it came down to serving. If we wanted to compete with those, um, you know, those huge teams, we just had to serve lights out. And, you know, the games that we played well were the games that we served well. So I think when I went to that level, it really was a game of serving, you know, serving first contacts.
0: Nice, nice. And I believe that wasn't the end of your university career, right? Like you got to return from the junior national team and take that back to Alberta, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So after that, I was, that was my second year. So I basically from there, wait, no, 2013.
0: I know it doesn't like, feel like that long ago, but it's hard to connect the dots here on the thing.
1: I think I did, I think that was the summer before I started UVA, and then it came back. Yeah. And yeah, that was the first year I started after Junior Nationals.
0: Okay, so did the game feel simpler from being at that level? Like, was there anything you could take other than maybe the speed of the game that you took back to your university team and just made things simpler for you?
1: Yeah, totally. It was a big thing was just the speed of the game, doing fast sets, and uh, you know just being a lot more explosive. And uh, my third year was probably my best year. You know, my fourth, my fifth, I kind of slowed down a bit. training I got some shoulder knee problems but I remember my third year I was probably the most whippiest I would say like for my hits um, would be one of the things for sure.
0: And as you're going through this path of representing Canada and obviously doing well with U of A when did it click for you that you wanted to play overseas like was it just seeing vets at U of A go on to play professionally or was it being a part of the national team that kind of clicked that you wanted to give professional volleyball a shot? Yeah I
1: think you know Just hearing the stories, all the guys going playing pro, um, you know, I I don't think there's a moment where I clicked where I wanted to play. I think it's just hearing, you know, all the UVA, you know, um, alumni getting contracts, and you know, um, you know, I thought that's something I could do, and you know, I love traveling and uh, you know, new opportunities, exploring the world. So for me, it just fit really well.
0: Now for you to go to France B, was that a Volleyball Canada connection? Because a ton of guys have started their career there. So was that kind of a a hookup through VC or did your agent help? Or was it just easy to talk to guys and say that they had a good experience? They liked the living conditions. They liked the style of ball, that it was just a good match? Or were you comparing other offers as well?
1: I actually signed with an agent, um, I think halfway through my fifth year. So that's he's the one who found that. And then from there, um, I did my due diligence of, you know, figuring out more about the league. Honestly, I had nothing to know. And When I first heard it was league B, I'm like, I don't want to play in a B league. Uh, but then hearing more and more about, you know, how competitive this is, you know, my um, Brock Davidek used to play in that league, a bunch of other very good players. So, you know, hearing more and more about it, you know, I quickly, uh, and living um, it was a suburb just outside of um, Paris, so-called Robinson. Um so it was it was honestly ideal uh place to play.
0: Yeah, and what can you tell us about the level, just so our listeners aren't having a similar reaction saying, Oh, B league, like that couldn't have been very good, but I I think it is a very strong league, right?
1: Yeah, no, it's very, you know, very good league. Um, you know, it's kind of complicated to explain how the league set up, but basically like it's the top two of the B goes up to A and the bottom two, so it's always back and forth between A and B. There's the French Cup where we play um, the eight teams. I remember playing um, Paris Volley and Montpellier, and we had very close games. So again, you know, a lot of these, a lot of very, very good players, who you know, bounce back and forth from A and B leagues, just depending on, you know, one year, they're in the A league, one year, they're in the B league, but like all around, it's a pretty uh, deep league.
0: And how would you kind of describe the process to our listeners? Because, In talking on the show, I thought like maybe the libero position was the hardest to get a foreigner contract, but in talking to more and more players, I guess middles don't get the best treatment, right? Like usually owners and coaches want to spend the foreigners on, you know, a banging right side or maybe a left side that can pass and and do more things, right? So for you coming over as a Canadian middle, was it honestly hard to get certain offers or were you happy with going to that club team? Like what went into your process about uh, trying to find these offers and when you finally decided to take this contract?
1: Well, after my fifth year, I kind of knew I wasn't like wanting to do the whole national team route and really pursue volleyball to you know to all that extent. So I wasn't too concerned about you know the level, the pay. You know, for me, I kind of wanted to balance in that lifestyle to be somewhere where I wanted to be. Um, mm-hmm. you know, good hub to go travel around. Yeah, middles definitely don't get the same. Um, financial incentives um there may be fewer but you know when i saw the opportunity to go play just outside of paris for a good team um you know i knew that was a good decision
0: and you were one of the canadians who took advantage of, of completing your master's in england and with their volleyball rules i believe they they probably weren't too concerned with you playing five years in cis so technically you lost eligibility here i don't think that factored into their And did they even factor in that you're a professional player? Like, can anyone technically enter and be eligible to play there in the master's program?
1: Yeah, as far as I know, basically, there's no eligibility restrictions as long as you're studying at the school, you are allowed to to play there.
0: Nice. And how did those conversations start? Were you the one pursuing that because you wanted to continue your academics or... Did they kind of recruit you? Like, how did that relationship get built, and when? When did you finally decide on on which school you wanted to attend?
1: Yeah, so it's funny. It happened very um, spontaneous. There's actually a site um, called Team Galias, and it actually was started by a girl that went to the same program, an entrepreneurs program, and I forget what sport she played, but she wanted. Basically, a platform to link athletes, ex-NCAA, ex-CIS, youth sports athletes, to these schools that, you know, that they're looking for athletes and uh, athletes that want to complete their master's. So I basically filled out the profile on that site. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I got uh, one of the recruiters from Nottingham uh, basically saying, hey, we got uh, based on your academics, you know, we can offer you this academic scholarship, and then this athletic scholarship. So that basically paid for my whole master's degree. Wow.
0: Wow. And what did you choose to study when you were there? It was
1: entrepreneurship, innovation, management, kind of a mouthful, but yeah, one year course-based
0: master's degree. And be honest, how did you find the level there? So going from Can West and being with our national team program, what is the level there? If any Canadians are kind of perking up being like, yeah, I could definitely do my master's overseas, travel a little bit, and still play volleyball. I would
1: tell them, don't get your expectations very high. Um, <laughs> it really depends on the school. Uh, it's certainly not a place where you're going to enhance your your skills. So I'll just leave it at that. But it was, you know, super fun to still play, to play volleyball. Um, and just, you know, there's guys, you know, all around the world. I remember I have teammates from Egypt, from Germany, Spain. Um, so, you know, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, but if you're looking just to uh to play ball and get better uh i wouldn't say that's um the place but honestly you know for the education their education is top notch um and like i said super super fun
0: Now, when you were in France and then obviously completing your master's in England, did you bring the same playing style? Or obviously with France, you would bring the intensity and be a professional athlete. But when you were in England, did you feel the need to be like loud and intense and really find ways to contribute? Or because of the level of play was there, did you kind of mellow off a little bit?
1: I definitely mellowed off a bit, you know, especially because I was a foreigner um, and yelling. uh, I, I was definitely still like, aggressive with you know my my presence but definitely not to the extent that uh you may have saw me i think in the finals there um i think was that when the finals when you really saw
0: uh, yeah if, if we're gonna be honest yeah i was at mcmaster and you went at schreimer the whole game and, and trinity <laughs> won it but i think if if Taylor doesn't go down. That's probably a more competitive game. And even when we had Schreimer on the show, he was very honest and he said their offense was faulty. Like uh Slater and, and Shearhorn absolutely went off, but they didn't have a ton of weapons, right? So you, you could tell right from the start that was going to be an intense match because I think they had beat you in the Canada West Finals even though you had a yeah. better regular season record. And I think you even beat them both times you met. So no, I, I I earned a lot of respect for Schreimer for tolerating you the whole game, but you, you definitely got my attention just with the intensity and presence you brought uh, as a volleyball athlete. I had never really seen that level of it before.
1: And to be honest, I really... You know, that was my last game, say so yes. You know, we won two, you know, championships before that. And like I said, I knew I wasn't playing. I wasn't impacting the game that I, I, I used to. All right. I was used to. So I really just want to do everything possible that I could, like, be happy and live with. And for me, I think I latched onto it. I remember that game specifically when I did that. Um, so. I wouldn't say I was like that every single game, but I remember that moment, Taylor going down My last year. I wanted to make sure I did everything possible. And if I, you know, I tried as much as I could to get in his head and I think it worked a little bit, but hats off to, to him. He played well and got the job done.
0: Yeah. And actually while we're on it, what was the mood around the team? Cause obviously you guys had a strong leadership group and coaches, but, and, and don't get me wrong, Aaron Chambers is a heck of a volleyball player and him going in, isn't a big letdown, but to see Taylor go down pretty early on in the match, actually, how did that affect you guys? Or like you said, because your upperclassmen, Walsh was there, Riley, like Reed, May, all the vets who had been there before. Was it going to be okay? Or was anybody pressing the panic button in those timeouts?
1: I don't think we ever pressed the panic button. Obviously, we knew the situation. Um, you know, we were, you know, missing, the, you know, a very um, offensive, very good blocker middle. And uh, we just, you know, we trained for it. That's why we, you know, we trained, you know, with three middles you know, we just did the best we could. And, you know, there's, there's nothing that really changed. Um, but obviously I think it was a little bit of momentum killer. And, uh, yeah, like I said, they, they took advantage and they played well and took us down.
0: And just to dive a little bit deeper into this, uh, block a ring award you won so obviously athletics academics you're passionate about i'm wondering what were you doing on the community side and the leadership side at u of a that you were interested in because obviously to pursue a career in entrepreneurship you're obviously involved in a bit of a people person and you want to be involved in a lot of things right so did that happen in your undergraduate where you were just when terry needed something you were the guy who was stepping up and doing some community projects
1: Yeah, I was always kind of the the initiator with things, like always the guy that kind of had to get the group to do certain team things, whether it's to film funny videos or our uh, award banquet. Um, You know, I was representative for our, it's called the UAD boards. Basically, it's a big board of athletics that we do kind of community outreach. So I was the, my third year I was elected to, VP of Community Outreach, so I headed some tobacco-free kids initiatives, so I had athletes go into schools, talk about, you know, living tobacco-free lifestyle, brain waves, talk about brain injuries, um, you know, for me, that's, you know, something that I uh, really enjoy doing and, you know, getting a sense of, uh, you know, more of a community and giving back, so, Yeah.
0: And was leadership obviously something you were passionate about? Because I've heard uh, from Jaron and a few other guys, like that's something that Terry treats as a skill. So did you take anything away from like the small groups he organizes or just being a golden bear? Like was there anything that really helped you that stands out in your mind from just being a varsity athlete at U of A?
1: Looking back, I think it was just naturally built being on that team. And there's so many things you take for granted, you know, playing at that level and you don't really realize that you're kind of working professionally. And you know you're, you're, the skills that you you built up that you don't really realize really shine. And, you know I think it's just you know being a person that you can rely on. Like if you're gonna say you're gonna do something, you're gonna get it done. And at the end of the day, it's like you know it's the actions and you know showing up day in day out doing your part. And uh, you know when you're seeing a guy that's struggling, you know going over and you know seeing what you can do to help and you know maybe saying something to get him out of that rut. So it really is just being, just doing what you're going to say to do and, uh, and yeah, executing.
0: Awesome, man. Well, it's been great to to hear about your story and all you accomplished with your career and even the, the focus on academics after playing. So uh, obviously an easy guy to root for. So just, just for our fans to kind of close this out, what are you up to now? Like uh, how are you putting your master's to work or how are you doing with all these skills you've acquired through our sport?
1: Yeah, so I actually moved to uh, Vancouver, and uh, funny enough, I uh, I work for a big travel company now. So, like I said, I'm passionate about travel, and uh, I work for a company called Colette. So we do tours around the world, kind of the 50 plus, all four or five star. Um, so I manage the BC region. Um, so it's a little bit of hectic times in the travel industry right now, uh, but I get to essentially run my own business with you know looking after the BC territory and. Kind of still get to travel around the world. Went to Egypt, Greece, Portugal to kind uh, of to to try out our product. So uh yeah, I'm looking forward to to travel resuming. So my life to go back somewhat normal. Well. Yes, you know if you're a young player, like you know there's just there's so much opportunity out there. You can be any sport. So you know, ask questions. You know, talk to people, and you know. Like I said, there's so much opportunities other than financially to to explore the world, or to get your education paid for. And, you know, as we see now, people need sports in their lives. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of opportunities out there. So that's I want to end with that.
0: Sweet. Well, one thing we're, we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just to end with a funny story. So we got to hear your path through volleyball and everything else you've accomplished. But imagine something odd or funny kind of happened along the way. So I was hoping you could uh, leave us with a story before we let you go.
1: Yeah, so basically, growing up in Red Deer, we we're kind of known as you know kind of the rough, uh, rough around the edges kind of uh, kind of people. So basically, in club um, U16, um, just to show kind of how atypical I was uh, of a volleyball player playing basketball, I remember um, this one club game. This is before I made the provincial team. You know, there's a kind of party ball going up. And I remember I just had an urge to go jump and grab it, grab the ball over the side of the net. I jumped down on the others on my side and then jumped back up and I threw it down like a slam dunk. <laughs> and for me, it just seemed completely natural. Like okay, like and then everyone's like, what the heck just happened? And I just laughed it off and ever anyone. Um, but anyways, then U16. That's the year I made provincials um, on the on the provincial team. And, you know, I made a team and the coach like, congrats, John. Um, but basically, you're not going to be allowed to practice um, until you fix your your goofy foot. And I'm like, what? What's goofy fit? So basically, I've been playing volleyball, goofy foot my whole entire life. So I had to basically go on the side, going left, right, left, um, basically for three days straight um, until I was uh, not goofy footed anymore. So that just shows, you know. Anybody can really uh, end up being somewhat okay at volleyball. You can you know, think you're playing
0: basketball, be goofy-footed, and you know, still end up okay. <laughs> I'd say better than okay, but yeah, that, that's a good yeah. story. Thanks for definitely sharing that one. Well, man, this has been awesome. I'm, I'm sure you're a busy guy, so thanks for taking the time and, and share that you did. I definitely learned a lot. I, I was a big fan of your game, and now learning more and seeing the behind-the-scenes, I think it's, it's been great. So thanks again, and good luck with everything you got moving forward.
1: No, I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks so much.